You're listening to the She's Unshakable podcast. I'm your host, Fleur Lonsdale. And if you're looking to create incredible courage, resilience, and unshakable belief in yourself, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, I'll be interviewing incredible adventurers, athletes, and entrepreneurs to dig deep into the strategies and tools they use to create unwavering courage and belief so that you can learn how to never give up on your goals and achieve the life of your dreams. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. This is part one of the podcast with Sue Bowles, who's a master certified life coach. She's a speaker, she's an author, and very much so she's a survivor. And her story is so full of so many things. I don't even know where to start, but I'm so excited to have her on this podcast because not only has she been through so much, but she's also extremely comfortable talking about it. And I think it's really important for us women out there and the men as well, but to understand and see what other people have gone through, how they have dealt with it and how they've come through the other side, because she's been through a lot. And as you'll hear her story, just be reminded of the vulnerability of where she's coming from and for you to maybe speak up about your story and what's going on for you, if anything resonates or if anything has maybe happened to you in the past as well. All right, enjoy and um, I'll see you for part two next time. Hi Sue, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited and so grateful to have you on today. Um, Can't wait to hear about your vulnerable story. I know that you've got so much to share with our audience about everything that's happened to you in life. I'm actually a bit shocked that you've managed to go through so many things, but um, I'm really grateful for you to be here and to be able to share this with us. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I I really look forward to to our conversation. Yeah, me too. So um, first off, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit or give us a little bit of background about you. Obviously, you're, you're coaching now and you've written a book and everything, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But tell me what sort of got you to where you are now and maybe we can sort of delve into some of your story as well. Sure. Uh, let me give a quick trigger warning because a couple of the things that we're going to be talking about can be triggering for people. Yeah. They have to do with sexual assault. They have to do with eating disorders and being suicidal. So if anything like that is triggering for anyone in your audience, I really want them to make sure they have a self-care plan in place. If that means you need to pause the show and come back to it later, we'll be sitting here waiting for you. Uh, but your self-care is the most important part. I never want my story to hurt somebody else. So I always want to put that out there first. Okay. Having said that, you, know, you, you mentioned a lot of things that I've gone through. And uh, for the longest time, I used to be really mad at God. I'm, I'm a Christian, and I was really hacked off of God because of so much that has happened to me. And I was like, you know, why did so much happen to me? Because any one of the things that I'm about ready to, ready to talk about is enough for one person. And for whatever reason, which I'm starting to understand, a lot of it came my way. And, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kind of just, um, I'll just do a litany list and then we kind of <laughs> dig in from there. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it starts when I was seven years old. I am a childhood rape survivor. I was raped by a classmate when I was in first grade. And as if that wasn't enough, I didn't tell anyone until my senior year of college. It became a 15-year secret, a decade and a half. I didn't tell anybody. 
when it came out, it was in a conversation with my dean of students, and I didn't know it needed to come out. But what happens is that when you have things in your life you have not dealt with, it will find a way out in one way or the other. Mm. And while I told him my senior year of college, there was a lot that went in between there. And you know, I started out with, 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 with the rape. When Bobby, the boy who raped me, he held me against my will for 45 minutes in the woods on school grounds after school one day. And this is in the early 70s. Rape was not on the radar. It wasn't talked about. No one knew to ask anything. It just looked like two kids having fun after school who were late from home, late getting home. And Bobby's last words to me were, don't tell anybody. And I didn't know the prison those words were going to put me in. And, and, and I, I, became, I, I became frozen in time. My emotions were frozen in time that day. So, you know, it's, scientific, it's a scientific fact that trauma rewires your brain and how your brain processes things. So at age seven, which is kind of like the age of, age of reason, you start mm. to be able to make decisions for yourself. My brain, at a very critical point in life, when it was just starting to develop, had trauma to it. So I didn't have a chance to really figure out what it meant to be a kid because I was just trying to survive at that point in time. I went through junior high and high school. There were some other sexual assaults that happened, sexual abuse that happened as a neighborhood kid. Um, I was suicidal twice. I, by my junior year of, college, of high school, I was convinced that nobody cared. And, and I figured if nobody cares, why, don't, why do I want to live? Mm -hmm. And that happened because we were visiting somebody in a nursing home. And we walked by the day room, and a, 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 a resident had slipped down in her chair and for five minutes was calling, help me, help me, help me. And no one went to help her. And, and I was, you know, 16 years old, 17. And, and I was already, I used the word unstable because I didn't have a good foundation in my brain. So I wasn't processing things correctly. Mm -hmm. And that led me feeling like nobody cared. Get to college. And um, I became very over-involved. I have since learned, I've learned a lot about myself in retrospect. And I was very insecure. I found my security and my worth in being busy. And, and I developed an eating disorder in this time. I had painted the mask all along that Sue was the strong one. Sue didn't have any problems. Sue was not the troublemaker. Sue, Sue was golden. You could go to her. She was strong and she'd do whatever needs to get done. I was a pacifier. And because I had that mask, I then felt I had an image to uphold, and that started really imploding on me. Where it led to was that I didn't, I didn't eat with a lot of people in the dining hall. I usually ate by myself. I went to a small college in Ohio, had one dining hall. So I felt like over time that people would see me sitting alone. And, and you know, you feel like you're sitting, you're sticking, sticking out with a sore thumb. Well, my, I would have enjoyed another serving of food, which is a very human need. Our bodies are designed to need food. Food, food is fuel. That's all it is. My body would have enjoyed another serving of food. My brain, because it had already started off, off the, uh, uh, on an uneven level because of what happened in first grade, add everything else to it on top of that. By the time I'm getting to college, you know, my, my, my life is not stable at all because it hasn't had that opportunity to learn how to think correctly. 
So I interpreted everything that if I went up to get another serving of food, everyone would know that Sue had a need. And God forbid Sue be found out because then my cover would be blown. And I, I didn't want anybody to know I had a need, even though it was a human need and how our bodies are designed. When my brain was so worked out, I learned how to shut off my hunger. I dumped, <coughs> excuse me, I dumped my tray, I left the cafeteria, and I'd go back to my room later and snack. That became the start of my eating disorder. What I've since learned is that, you know, I, I mentioned when I was in first grade, my emotions became frozen in time. I didn't know, I couldn't tell you what I was feeling. I didn't know how to deal with it. And that added to everything. I have since come to understand within myself that because I didn't know how to deal with the emotions of feeling insecure, of the anger of everything that happened and, and the confusion and just you know the hurt and, and everything that I was feeling, because I never learned how to deal with that, I shut off my emotions. I went through a period in high school where I didn't cry a tear for two years because a friend of mine, my best friend from grade school, was moving away to another state. Mm. She had two groups of friends. I was, I was the friend that the other group didn't like. So the other group was having a going away party for her, and I later found out from her that I wasn't invited because they didn't like my personality. So when you're 16 years old, that's absolutely crushing. Yep. So, so I cried here for two years. So by the time we got to college and all this is happening, I learned that if I stayed busy, I didn't have to think. If I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with my stuff. Mm. So I, so activity became my number because that, that's how I, that's how I felt I had worth mm. if I was seen. So my senior year of college, I was homecoming chair. I did the uh, winter formal, and I coordinated an 18-hour dance-a-thon for muscular dystrophy all my senior year of college. What was that? An so, 18, oh, an 18 what? 18-hour dance-a-thon where, oh. where, where people, people, <laughs> people, raise, people raise money by, by having pledges for how many hours you dance. Okay, so it's, cool. It, 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 was, it was for a charity. Awesome. So I coordinated it all, all during my senior year of college. So, excuse me. You're good. So, you know, I had all that going on, and I still hadn't dealt with the root issue. Mm -hmm. So until I told my dean of students my senior year of college, I was still, I was still going down a really bad path, mm -hmm. really bad path. And it really wasn't, honestly, until 2014 that I finally started dealing with the rape over four decades after it happened. So I've gone through a lot, yes. My parents divorced after 34 years of marriage. I was suicidal then too. Because again, I was, I was imploding because I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. Then you add in you know, the feeling of being stuck in between an ugly divorce, wanting to make sure mom is okay, and yet wanting to add, you know, I still love them, you know, and just everything in between. Mm -hmm. now, and, you know, we were raised in an alcoholic home. My dad is now 30, goodness, 34 years sober, I believe, 34, 35 years sober, awesome. which is fantastic. Yeah. And the relationships have been restored. My dad is my best friend. I'm going to Aww. see him for his birthday this weekend. Nice. And, and uh, I could talk to him forever. 
my mom passed away 16 months ago. I became her caregiver. So relationships were whole. But that couldn't happen unless I was being as a hard work of healing. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> there is. That's why, that's why I shut up so you can start unpacking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd love to know. I'm just curious. Do you remember much of your childhood? Not a lot. Mm. And, and for a long time that bothered me. I have come to understand that is very common in people who have a trauma. Yeah. So that, that helps me not, not feel as weird, for lack of a better phrase. Sure. Not wonder about it as much. As I have healed more, you know, and I hear stories, and, and we find pictures and videos, and I hear different people, more, more things come back, <clears throat> which, is, which is nice. But I, I don't remember a lot you know, off, at the start, no. And I was just going to say, um, since sort of doing some healing and some trauma healing, have you found that you are able to remember a bit more, or is it kind of one of those things that you just got used to not remembering? Um, no, I, I'm starting to remember a little more, and a lot of it is sparked by, you know, after Mom passed away, we found a lot of fa- old family movies. So Oh, nice. What, what, yeah, and those are great. They were on the old style that no one does anymore, yeah. like Super 8 and... You know, it's a whole deal. Oh, we had to send them off to a special place to get developed. So now we have oh, them on Oh, that's awesome. Oh, it's great. But so watching that, those have helped. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I, I see that, and I see my dad having sword fights with us with paper towels. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember those now. So yeah. that has been really, really fun to look at those, look at old pictures, to hear different stories. Uh, that, that's, that, that's been wonderful. So that, that is, uh, it, it's I look back at it now, it's like, yeah, I did have an okay childhood. I just didn't remember it because my brain didn't know how to process things. Sure. And did you have any, do you have any siblings? I do. I have, I have uh, five other siblings, one of whom has passed away. I never met him. He died when he was two. But there's Beth, there's Rusty, there's Steve, myself, Chris, and Scott. Crikey. So. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought you were going to say one of two or something. I was like, how, so how many of you are there? What, six? There are six kids, five women. Wow. <coughs> Amazing. And I'm smack dab in the middle. Okay. So you add the middle child syndrome into, into it all. Sure. And it was just a real, real tornado of things. Okay. I'm, I'm almost kind of like lost for words. I don't really know where to start. But... It's anything, I, wherever you want, uh, it's an open, open story. Open book. So when, it's really hard, okay, so, so seven, seven years old is really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're right, your brain isn't even fully, fully formed. It's very difficult right. to understand things. It's, it's, a, it's a very <coughs> important time in a child's life, you know, that, what is it? I think it's four to seven or something is a really important time right. to build those beliefs in a child. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, which is pretty obvious why you had to become or you thought you had to become that person, right? Right, right. Um, do, you, do you remember the the moment quite prominently in your mind, but everything else is just a blur? Or do you have you kind of forgotten ever, the, the actual what happened at the time? Oh, no, I have this emblazed in my mind. Yeah, that was and, what I thought. And, 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 I, I, yeah, I have this video playing in my head once in a while. Now, the... the, the, the the positive part of it, and then that's part of the PTSD, is having the flashbacks, yeah. having the videos, those kind of things. Yeah. 
the, the, the peaceful part of my story is that I've made peace with that part of my story. Mm-hmm. You know, at, um, for the longest time, I let the events of my life define me. Mm-hmm. And I have now been able to flip that on its head and I define them. They no longer have power over me. Mm. They, they have helped forge me to be who I am. And I've taken the lessons I've learned from that, and now I'm turning that into good. So, you know, while, while I remember it, I'm not chained to that story anymore. Yeah. And, and, and actually, you know, I mentioned at the start that I'm, I'm coming to understand more how good can come from all this, because that was one of my questions for a long time mm-hmm. was, you know, I'm a waste of space. You know, I went on a retreat program. There's a retreat program that's very dear to me that was very key to my healing. And I went in there the first year calling myself the holy exception. I had I had believed the lie. And again, I'm a Christian, so I based it off the Bible, that everything that in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me because I was too screwed up, too far gone. There's no way God could love me. And that was just 2014. If you had told me then I'd be doing what I'm doing now seven and a half years later. I would have talked crazy and laughed you off the face of the earth because I didn't believe in myself. Mm-hmm. So while there was so much there that has happened, now it allows me to relate to so many other people. And now I get to be a voice of hope for them and be for others what others were for me at that time. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a quite a common theme of, I mean, for me, I I was brought up um, in a Catholic church and I was at church every Sunday and I sang in the choir and I was an altar girl. And when things happen in my life, so I lost when I was 13, still young, nowhere near as young as seven, but still young. And I lost two friends within the space of a month. Mm. And for me... That was my like, well, God can't be real because why would anyone do that? Like, that's evil, right? <laughs> right. right. And so it was literally like instantaneous. I was like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna believe in this anymore. Right. I think this is a farce. Um, and I've come to rekindle my spirit, essentially, less so in the Catholic Church, but more so just in faith-based. And spirituality, and I think it's really important for people to have that as well, right? I think it's really important for people to have faith in something, especially when we don't have it in ourselves, because we we need to have it somewhere. We need to have some hope. We need to be able to find it from something. Yeah. And so I'd love to, I guess, really understand. I guess as part of such a big family, like how were you brought up? in within that family having so many siblings and at that point in time was there anything in your mind that sort of said maybe I should tell my brother or sister or or maybe I should share this with with someone because I don't know what was what was the thought do you even know do you even remember yeah, that's a great question, and that's actually a question I've never been asked before. Um, and and we, we, we were raised Catholic, too. I did Catholic school all the way through high school, so I, I, I understand that. <laughs> um, in church on Sundays and during Easter week, you're there at the time, and holy yeah. week, yeah, I understand very much so. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
in terms of, of you know, we, we, I'm thinking through different things. Um, you know, we, we get home, we have chores to do, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And you do your homework. Um, you know, but we were, we were, it was a good family. Sundays we went to church, we'd go out, dad would drive, and we'd, we'd get lost, you know. And that was always fun. We'd go on a Sunday drive. Mom and dad knew exactly where we are, but all the kids were like, where are we? Where are we? You know, and we got lost. So just doing those kind of fun things. Lots of family reunions. We 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 uh, we uh hosted a family reunion the same Sunday, every the same weekend every year. So, you know, growing up, it, 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 it was good. It was fun. A lot of fun, a lot of laughter. Um, I didn't think to tell anybody because I didn't know what had happened. All I knew was something bad had happened, but I didn't know. And I didn't have the words and no one knew to ask. So how did you know, how did you know it was bad? Um, I, I, I I don't know that I, that's, I think, I think just because of some of the things that happened, during those 45 minutes, um, the way Bobby was acting, when he told me not to tell anybody, I think mm-hmm. that was a clue that yeah. he knew something, was wrong, he, something wasn't right. Sure. But what's, what some people are, will think me crazy for, and it's, it's, if you had told me I'd get to this point, I, I, I would not have believed you. It is only by the grace of God, and again, doing a lot of hard work healing. Um, <clears throat> I actually have compassion for Bob. And I say that because if rape was not on the radar and he was the same age as me and I didn't know what happened and nobody knew to ask questions because it wasn't a thought, mm-hmm. what was he exposed to or even possibly mm-hmm. experiencing mm-hmm. at the very same age to then do it? Mm. Have you ever spoken to him? since i have not um i actually found my first grade uh, class picture a few months ago going through some stuff in the room and um that was a little uncanny you know i i much knew who he was right away sure um i texted my counselor and said you won't believe what i just found <laughs> but it the, but here's where i knew that i had done the healing it did it didn't derail me it didn't take, put me into a tailspin you know, instead it's like, wow, is that what he looks like? So my recollection was pretty good about that. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, but that's again, it's where I knew that it knew that I, knew that I that I had healed, and and that that I was and I was okay. Because yeah. um, those those things like that can be very triggering. So um, I got, I didn't think to tell anybody. My nobody in my family knew for probably until I started writing the book. Um, and even as I was writing the book, my siblings still did not know. I had told my mom wow. and I had told my dad, um, you know, before the, before the book came out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but they didn't know. And, and again, that, that's, that's because I didn't know what to say. Sure. And, and, and again, even as an adult, I, was, I hadn't done the hard work yet. So I wasn't really ready to tell anybody mm-hmm. because I kind of didn't, didn't know if I wanted to dig into it. And, you know, one of the things I put in the acknowledgments of the books is, is that how supportive my siblings have been, because in some ways, some of the things I write in there are their stories as well. Mm. And never once have they told me, don't say anything. 
they have been so supportive of this entire journey of, of all the, the media and the podcasting and, and the, you know, the conference presentations and campus presentations and the book. Uh, they've been nothing but supportive. So that, you know, again, that, that helps me know that uh, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Now, that. my dad, when I told him... I was going to um, say, what yeah. did they say? <laughs> that was going to be my, my next question. My, my dad, when I told him, reacted as any dad would. Um, this was probably uh, eight, nine years ago, maybe I told him. I, I told him, and, um, and I was obviously in tears. And his first reaction, he literally did this. He went... And, 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 and his comment was, I, I wish I had known. And I said, Dad, it's not your fault. I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the words, and I wasn't prepared to say anything, but I just wasn't at that point. And then as we talked through a little bit, and, and I was kind of consoling him and letting him know that your daughter's okay and that, you know, we've done a lot of hard work. I'm to the point I can tell you this. But then he looked at me a little later. He said, and he's the only person who calls me this. He says, Susan, he's like, it's probably good you didn't tell me because I don't know that I would have responded really well at that moment in time. <laughs> so, and, and that's that's dad speak for I love you and I'm going to protect my daughter. You know, so you know, and, and I think I appreciate that even more as an adult. I can have these conversations with my dad. I can have the hard conversations with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, we did an intervention with my dad. You know, I mentioned my dad's in recovery from alcoholism, but we had to do an intervention on him. And if no one is familiar with that, you. Basically, set the person up. You've gone through some training, and you're basically letting, telling that person how their behavior has affected you, that you are drawing a boundary, and that if they do not accept the help being offered them that day, that you will be doing this, and there's some kind of consequence. And for me, <clears throat> this was hard for me. I had to tell my dad that I wouldn't come visit him anymore. I was going to cut that line mm-hmm. until he got help. And yet, here we are, we finished the intervention, he agrees to go for help, and out of everybody he could have written with, he chose to write with me. I have been so close to my dad for so many years that there's just a very special bond. You know, like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing him for his birthday. Um, we're going out and playing pool. It's one of our favorite things to do. He's going to be 89, and so I know that window is getting small. It's only been 20 months since we lost mom. So I, I, I cherish every minute I have mm. because I know that there, are, there aren't a lot of them left. So I want to, I told him yesterday on the phone, I said, I want to soak up all the wisdom you have. I want to I want to learn every life secret that you have, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I want to glean it all. So, you know, I just, I could sit and talk to my dad for hours at a time. Love it. <coughs> and what, did, what about your mom? What did your mom say? Um, my mom's reaction was... Um, It was not. It was not supportive at that time, and and I, I have and I want to be very cautious with how I how sure. I answer this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I love my mom. I miss her fiercely. She became my best friend as well. There was a time where I would have said I was estranged from my mom, and I had to do a lot of hard work on my end. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things that I had thought we were estranged over was because I had to do work. Um, during that time, 
before I did the work is when I told mom. So I didn't have a good relationship, a strong relationship with her. Yeah. And I believe her reaction um, reflected that. Um, you know, any parent who hears this, hears news like that, is going to be hurting. Yeah. And their response could very well come from their hurt. Yeah. And, and I believe her response came from her hurt. Hurt is really love expressed in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to step back now, and I know my mom loved me. I know that without hesitation. I, while I wish some things had been different many, many years ago, before the later years, mm-hmm. um, I'm looking at a picture on the wall right now, and I'm smiling because I love her. You know, so you know that 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 was harder. I, I had a support system in place where I they could help me work through. Um, so that's how you dealt with but, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know you have to when you're in a relationship and there's there's tough conversations happening. You have to take it where somebody is, and if if that person isn't ready to have the conversation on the same level you are ready to, mm. then it, you know it's not going to go anywhere. Mm. You know, in in, th- in this particular situation. My mom was very, as any mom is, my mom was really good at knowing when you were hiding something. (laughs) She had that mother's intuition. And she had sense that there was just something I was not telling. So she kind of kept asking and asking. So it kind of became a, all right, I'm going to have to tell her. This was when you were, hang on, when was this? When you were young or this was when you told her? This was when I told her. Okay, gotcha. So we were were both adults. Um, So... You know, I kind of felt like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm getting pigeonholed here. I'm getting put in the corner. I need to tell her. So it wasn't something I had necessarily, I was building up to telling her. Yeah. But it wasn't, I wasn't fully prepared. Sure. And I had not worked through how will I respond if these different scenarios play out. Yeah. So that's why I, need, I needed my support system to help me work that through. Mm-hmm. Again, that's not to say anything negative about my mom. I, I love my mom. And, and I want to cherish her and honor her memory. And, and I, I want to be like her. You know, I am part of her legacy now. And mom, one of the things that I spoke at her service, and, and the four words that captivated her, that captured her life, were live, laugh, love, learn. And, and mom did all those well. And I want to do that as well. I, I learned a lot from her. I am part of her legacy. And I am her legacy of love. And she loved, and she loved fiercely, and she loved well. It may not have always been in the manner that someone knew how to accept it, mm. but it was her love expression. So I have learned from that. So even in her reaction, while at that moment it came from a place of hurt, I'm able to see through it and see the love that she has for me. So what did you learn from her reaction? Um... At that point in time, again, I, I was, you know, I, I was not in a good place myself. So some of the, the initial things that, that I would say I learned weren't exactly positive. Uh, so, <laughs> That's okay too. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, and, but that influ- and that influenced me, and those were more things I had to work on. But what I learned is how to listen, and how to listen past the words, and how to listen past the reaction. And be able to see the heart behind a reaction. That's what I learned. 
and 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 yeah, and Mom and I had a lot of conversations about those kind of things. Mm. And 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 that's one of the biggest biggest things I've learned from her is how to see see beyond see beyond the surface. Because yeah. Mom saw beyond the surface, and um, that helped draw me out. Okay. So, um, moving on from there, then. I, it's obviously quite apparent if you look back at your past as to how it's panned out and maybe the steps that have paid, put, been put in place as to, you know, why the, um, why you hid away, why you were the strong person, why you felt like you couldn't fulfill your needs by eating food, etc. And was anyone at school when you were at school or any of your siblings at school with you then? No, no. So it's just you. Uh, when everything happened, I was the first person. My brother went away to college. Um, he went to the Air Force two years afterwards. So he did not finish college. I was the first person in our college to go to go to co- in our family to go to college and finish. Uh, so I went about I, my college was about three and a half hours away. Okay, cool. Um, because I was thinking. I was just thinking about uh, when I, uh, my, I'm five years apart from my my well younger brother, but elder of the two brothers. No, younger of the two brothers, but he's older than me. And right. I always thought that you know when I was at school, I was only at school with him for a year or so. But if something happened at school, he would see it, or if vice versa, kind of thing. You'd think, right. even though we were part of a big school. Um, and I think I was you know quite lucky as well to have a sister who I was basically brought up with, brought up by, and we were very open, and I think my brothers were also very close, which meant that there was that bit more of support that even if you don't want to tell your mum and dad about something, you can talk to them, and it'll be our little secret, but we'll look after each other. Um, And I think that's probably one of the best things about having siblings, really, when you can do that. But I also really resonate with you feeling like you have to be the strong person and that you can't cry and I didn't cry for a very long time I actually don't think I cried properly from the age of 13 till about the age of 21 when my when my best friend died and then I couldn't stop crying and I think I cried for about two weeks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Even now, I, I, I understand that too. Yeah, and that break it broke the seal. <laughs> yeah, and here comes the flood. Yeah, um, but it was so interesting, and I had, I'd actually been brought up on it as a kid. Like, you never cry, you never have any emotions. Like, what's wrong with you? This goes into a whole other story. But those listening, if you want to listen to my, uh, one of my first podcasts I did, which was when I found my soul, you might want to go listen to it. It's a, probably another reason as to why that happened, but. Um, I'm curious as to your breaking point, like what happened for you to either seek help? Was it suicidal thoughts? Was it um, that like the lady that you saw who was reaching out for help and wasn't getting any? Like what at what point did you say this isn't right or I can't deal with this on my own or I need some help? Like what what was going on in your mind when that happened? Well, because, and I use the word I was troubled, you know, not in terms of getting into trouble, but, you know, my, you know, like I said, my mental processes were not thinking correctly. Yeah. So 
I was in and out of counseling a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and even my dean of students that I told, that I told the first time, he had seen it. And he was helping, and, and that's how, kind of how the conversation happened. I still don't remember the exact nature of the conversation, but after I told him, you know, he, he asked a couple more questions if I was okay and those kind of things. And then and he said, I wish I had known sooner. It answers a lot of questions it, because it was the missing link to why all the struggles he was helping me with for so many years were there. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, so I was in and out of counseling for a long time, but never dealt with the rape, never dealt with the court issue, yeah. dealt with all, all the offshoot issues, yeah. but not with the court. What kicked it for me was 2008. I lost a friend in 2005, and she had stage four breast cancer. And three years after she passed, I was still mourning her like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that my, for, for my eating disorder, I have some red flags. And, and I know what they are. And when I see these start to come up, that's a red flag for me that, okay, something's not right. One of the big ones for me is when I go to the refrigerator, open the door, and I get overwhelmed with food choices. I shut the door. I can't think. And I'm like, I'm just going to snack. That's, that's, that's part of it. <clears throat> that was starting to happen again. So I reached out, my, out to my pastor. He connected me with a counselor because after their mom died, two of his girls developed severe eating disorders. So that's how he met this, this counselor. He connected me with Amanda. I have been with Amanda since. The first weekend of April this year, this year we, will, we will mark 14 years of work together. And wow. I wouldn't trade, a, I'm not saying it's been easy, but I wouldn't trade a minute of it. So that's what kicked it. Um, in the course of that, you know, the, the, the first, first session we were talking, the, the, the usual stuff, and she gives homework each time. And the first one was to write a lifetime line. Of every important thing. Yeah. And so I, I wrote it. <laughs> I'd never done that before. I do that with my clients and, too. <laughs> uh, and I brought it in. And we start going through it. So it was the second or the third session. And it's like the second thing on my timeline. The first one, well, first thing was when I won my dog. And, and, and of course, you know, she, she says, I already have some questions, but <laughs> she, I think she was asking, well, why is it your birthday on here? You know, I think it's what she wanted to know. I jumped right to winning a dog when I was six. That was the first important thing in my life. <clears throat> so anyway, um, so then she said, but I already jumped ahead. And she, she read it, and she's like, Sue, this is huge. Did you ever work it through with anybody? And, and I looked at her and said, I don't know that I know what it would look like to say I've worked it through. So I guess that's your answer. But we had to spend the next six years getting even stronger in the present before we could deal with the past. And she and I, we have a fantastic relationship. And, and we've had these kind of conversations where, you know, those first, I had boundary issues like you would not believe. I would let people walk all over me. I wouldn't speak up for myself. I, I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't, you know, I was, I was like a puppet. So I had all kinds of stuff. So not only are we trying to stabilize the eating disorder behaviors, we're trying just to stabilize some relationships. And so we had to go through all that. It wasn't until 2014 that we finally started dealing with the rape. And, and we kind of felt like it, it just kind of came up and then kind of backed off it. It just kind of wasn't the right time. And we started digging into it. And that coincided with, and we'll get into this one, talk about the movie and the retreats and everything like that and the actual healing journey. But what kicked it was, was Mallory passing. And then three years later, 
realized that I hadn't dealt with it. And, and, and when I looked at Amanda early on, I said, what do you think it is? Why, is? why is it coming back? And she said, I think it's just a bunch of unresolved issues. And, and she was very, very right. Yeah, agreed. If something keeps, something keeps happening, it's normally because there's something that hasn't been dealt with, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it, it will come out. The body keeps the score. You know, that book is out. And you know, if it, like I said, to start, if it's not dealt with, it will come out in some way. Your, your body is going to let you know in some way that there's something you haven't dealt with. And right now it's really starting to cost you in this way. Mm. So would you please do yourself a favor and deal with it already? So. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little wary of the time. Um, okay. So I'd love, I'd love to ask you a couple of questions uh, to, sure. to finish and then obviously we can talk a little bit about your book too sure. um this this might sound like a stupid question <laughs> but um what's one of the scariest things that that's that's ever happened to you or that you've ever been through oh wow um or that you've ever done hmm. scariest thing i've ever done probably <laughs> i don't know about that i was gonna say learn to water ski because i can't um <laughs> I'm an adventuresome person, so I like taking risks. I like adventures. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan of snakes. That was probably one of the things. I was I was working on a ski trip uh, at, a, at a Christian sports camp in, in, in the, the summers, <clears throat> and we'd go down to down to some bluffs and everything. And the kids would repel and everything. So I was out there with my cabin that day, <clears throat> and we were going down a sixty foot, repelling down a sixty foot you know, cliff. I did it twice. I loved it. It was great. But then we get down there, and the guy's like, stay up on that rock. There was a rattlesnake in a cave, and they were going in to kill a rattlesnake. Oh <laughs> I, I think I'll pass on that one. So um, there's not – I have more anxiety around storms and those kind of things. Really? Um, but I, I, I'm kind of I'm an adventuresome person. And, and the storms are more – and that actually kicked in more after my past, just because I was afraid, can I handle this power goes out of my own? You know, and I know I can, and we've got so much in place now anyway, but a lot of that was more just the anxiety mess was how it came out. But I, I, I'm an adventuresome person. I speak in front of people. The number one fear of people is my number one love. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I guess I, I don't know that a lot scares me. There, so, there are things I won't do. I will not bungee jump. You know, <laughs> free fall would scare me. So, there you go. Free fall would scare me. I mean, you haven't done it yet, so I don't think that really counts. But <laughs> um, if okay, so so that moment of you being next to a rattlesnake and them killing a rattlesnake snake was a scarier time in your life than maybe telling your mum or dad about you getting raped as a seven-year-old. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um... Or were you just so? adamant that you had to do it then that it didn't even cause you anything I don't know I still think I'd be like losing my mind a little bit <laughs> um yeah I I, I, I mean I, I was scared to tell you know, to, to tell them yeah but I, I think it was easier with my dad because we had a good relationship and I, I'd done a lot of healing work um yeah I, I, I think I, again it was it was more one of those you know dread things of a of I don't want to, but it's just, I know it's the right thing to do, but I don't want to do it. So I don't know if it was scary. It, it was 
very uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and because vulnerability is uncomfortable. Mm. And so you get used to it. And so vulnerability becomes your standard and authenticity becomes your standard. Yeah. Um, you know, those things will scare you. That's powerful. I am um, 100% agree. And that's exactly why I wanted to, to build this podcast because people are scared about talking about this stuff. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Especially when, like, if I caught you maybe 10, 15 years ago and I'd be like, hey, so you want to jump on a podcast? <laughs> You'd have been like, nope. And the answer would have been no because here's the thing. This, when I speak, this is one of the key points I make is that until I believed that I had worth, until I dared to believe that I mattered, yeah. nothing changed. Yeah. I was part of this retreat program. I won't have to get into it. Um, I was part of a retreat program, and that first year, I had to own my story because I was in denial about my story. My story has a lot of loss, and I had not even cried about my story. So the first year, I just had to own my story. And so I went into it with you know, feeling like I was the holy exception. And I left there being able to say and starting to believe for the first time that Jesus Christ loves me. Not only loves me, he likes me. And there was a big difference. And that he's absolutely crazy about me. The next year, I had to grieve my story. And you were talking about how you cried for two weeks. The first few years of these retreats, when, when there's that, what I call a sacred moment of release happened, I hard cried and ugly cried. And I'm talking like... <gasps> That hard. Oh, I feel for you. Fifteen minutes, and no one blinked at all, because they knew what was going on and they knew it was healing. Mm. So, you know, yeah, if you had asked me fifteen years ago, I would have said no way because I didn't believe I had anything sure. worth saying. Yeah, that's not the case now. Absolutely, thank goodness for that. Hey. Yeah, amen. So, uh, give us your best advice for our listeners for. I mean, this could be a difficult one too. <laughs> I feel like we need. I feel like I need to have you on again so that we can carry on this conversation. Yeah, I, I would love to, but let's do it. We so might, yeah, we to. might have to do that because um, I'm. I know there's so much we haven't even. I know we haven't even touched. I think we just reorganize and do it again and just go take two. Yeah, absolutely. All right, again. sounds good. Um, so, so my, my advice for people: um, dare to believe that you matter. Love it. You know, if, if you, you know, the, 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 the podcast name is She's Unshakable, <clears throat> people who don't feel they matter are shakable. People who don't believe they have something to give are shakable. To be unshakable, believe that you matter. And, and I know it's hard. You might be thinking, you don't know what I've gone through. I don't. You've heard a little bit of what I have gone through. Hopefully you have heard that there's hope. I'm a voice of hope. If you are not feeling unshakable, I, I, I reach out to me. I, I call me. I would love to help you. The other other advice I have, I, I have a tip sheet that I would love to make available to your listeners. If that's all right, absolutely. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure in, in your in your show notes you'll have it too. Yeah, absolutely. Just go to suebowls.com. Send me your email. Uh, and I will uh, get a tip sheet to you of just easy steps, little things that go a long way to building your confidence so that you start feeling unshakable. My, my, my word of, of advice, my, my, my advice, you know, recommendation, if you want to use it that, do the hard work so that you can be unshakable. And it starts with 
daring to believe that you matter. Yeah, I love it. What's your top tip on that sheet? Top tip on that sheet. That's <laughs> the first one. That's, That's the first daring one? Love matter. it. Because nothing happens until that. Until you start, and I say dare, I say dare to believe. Because, because that, that it, it, sometimes you have to just dare yourself mm-hmm. and let that be your motivation and, and your energy behind something. But nothing else happens to getting to the point of being unshakable until you believe in yourself. That is the top one, is dare to believe you matter. Because until we start, even, even if it's only an inkling of, I, I'm not feeling it, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, we have to make our, force ourselves to take that step. But until we believe that we matter, it's not going it, to, we won't care what else happens. And we'll remain, un, we will remain shakable until we, because once we start valuing ourselves, yeah. then we start setting standards for ourselves. Then we start setting standards for what we expect for other people to treat us. Yeah. That's where that unshakable stuff starts happening. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing. Um, so Sue, I've got to, I've got to, um, I've got to end it there. But I think we definitely, yeah, we organize part two, and then we can talk more about your book. Um, we can talk more about everything else. (laughs) We might even need part three. Who knows? I'm game. But um, I think that would be really valuable, and I think. Yeah, I, I would be really stoked to have you on again. So let's do that. I'm keen for that. I, I would good? like that. And, and, and here's, here's, you know what, let's do this. If there are questions your listeners have, I would love to, to, to feel those questions. Amazing. Have them send them in to you, yeah. you know, and, 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 and maybe send them to me a little in advance. And we can set up a Q&A time. I mean, I, I'm fine with that because, again, I want to help. I want to be a voice of hope. I'm happy to answer questions. If my story can help somebody else take their next step, that's my business name, my step ahead. You only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. Yeah. So I want to do that. So yeah, let's let's connect and get something in place and let's have some fun with this. All right, let's do it. I'm keen. Okay, well, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, Let's jump on again afterwards and organize the next time that we we can catch up. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and head on over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listener and give us a five-star review. Don't forget to join our free Facebook community called She's Unshakable, where we get to share our tips and tricks and experiences with building courage, resilience, and belief in ourselves. I look forward to meeting you in there.